So imagine being at the banquet of the ages. The invitations had gone out and your names were calligraphed on stamped envelopes that had RSVP slips on them. The host of this banquet is God himself. Everyone has been invited and it would be best if we all made attending it our highest priority. Now that is what today's message from Luke 14 verses 15 through 24 is all about. I read as you pay attention and follow. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So imagine being the guest at a wedding banquet. After the meal, Jesus disrupts the conversation with a word of rebuke. For the host, imagine that. So you're, in a, you're at a, a banquet, you've been invited to the banquet, you've eaten, and then Jesus rebukes the host by saying this. The next time you decide to throw a dinner like this, don't invite people like us. Don't invite your friends, family, members, rich neighbors, or those who can pay you back. Instead, Invite people with low income or no income. You see that I'm paraphrasing here, all right? Invite persons with disabilities. Invite those who can never pay you back, and God himself will reward you in the resurrection. So when Jesus says that, one of the guests at the banquet was embarrassed for the host, because you see the host is being rebuked. Jesus is rebuking the host, and he becomes embarrassed for the host, and perhaps he becomes nervous for the others who are in attendance as well. And so he's, he tried to change the subject by saying, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, referencing that day when we'll be in eternal, in eternal fellowship with God. But Jesus responds with a parable, warning him not to count his blessings too early. 
because heaven will be filled with surprises. And so we're going to call this parable that Jesus is telling, we're going to call it Evangelism 101. So here's our first point, that God is hosting a wedding banquet to which all have been invited. Now Jesus' parable is about a man who threw a great banquet and he invited many, the scripture tells us. Many meaning his family, his friends, and his neighbors. You would re realize that the term many is a very selective term. Meaning that although the invitation was quite broad, it was also exclusive. Many implies that some were included and that others were excluded. Jesus means in this parable that those who were descendants of Abraham were included and those who were not were excluded. Please notice that the invitees to this banquet, they didn't do anything whatsoever to merit their invitation. They were invited solely based on who their father was, Abraham. See, God invited them because of his covenant with Abraham that he would be God to, the, to his descendants and they would be his people. But these descendants of Abraham would not come to the banquet that God had prepared for them. They said that they would, but they changed their minds and would not. Now in the ancient Near East, a banquet host would typically send out two sets of invitations. The first set of invitation went out weeks before the event, requiring that those who intended to attend should RSVP. That way, the host would, would know exactly what number of people to, in fact, prepare for. Jesus used this standard practice to refer to when God sent his prophets out to call his people into relationship and fellowship with him. All they needed to do was to RSVP to say that they were in fact coming. The second set of invitations went out days before the banquet, informing them that everything was now ready and that all that was required of them was to just show up. Precisely what verse 17 tells us. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Now the phrase, at the time of the banquet, refers to the messianic age, the, the time when Jesus lived on, and ministered on earth. The messenger in our text is John the Baptist, who went about preaching everywhere that people should repent of their sins and be baptized, which is what the host means when he said that the food has been prepared the wine is now ready. The table has been set. All you need to do is come. Now, typically when we receive an invitation to dinner, what is the first thing that we ask? What can I bring? Nothing is required here. You don't bring anything. You don't pay anything. You don't help with anything. All you need to do is just show up. Now, that is the beauty of God's invitation. You don't receive it because you are worthy. You receive it because you are 
unworthy. You don't get invited because you are qualified. You get invited because you are disqualified. God's invitation does not come to you because you are good. It comes to you because, as the word tells us, that in us there is no good thing. I don't care how good you are. I hate to burst your bubble, but the scriptures, the scriptures tell us that in you there is nothing good apart from God's goodness. Now, I'm told that a candidate for ordination said to the bishop before whom he stood to be ordained, he said, Bishop, if you only knew how unworthy I am to be ordained by you, you would never lay hands on me. The bishop replied, if you only knew how unworthy I am to lay hands on you, you would never let me do it. That is grace. We are all unworthy sinners in God's sight. Only by God's grace do we get invited to his dinner party. Only by God's grace has he overlooked our unworthiness, saying to us, you're worthy of being at my banquet. Not because of anything that you have done, because, but because of what I have done for you. The food's prepared, the wine's now ready, the table's been set. All you need to do is come because there is room at my banquet table for you. Second point is this, that people continue to devalue God's invitation with their excuses. Now, despite having RSVP'd, last-minute refusals began to pour in. They all started to make excuses about why they could not come. Jesus names three in particular, revealing the things that we tend to prioritize over God's invitation. Excuse number one, I have just bought a farm and I must go out and see it. Now I'm told that in the ancient Near East, some purchases did require a post-purchase inspection. This was one of them, obviously, a large purchase, right? You paid money for it, big money for it. And so even after having inspected it for the first time, it is necessary to go and expect it, inspect it again. But here's the question. Why did this man need to go right then to check it out? Could he not have also gone to the banquet and then maybe afterwards on his way back home could he not have gone to check it out? So although the excuse is culturally justifiable, what it does is that it really reveals his priorities. His, his investment is a greater priority for him than honoring a wedding invitation that he had already agreed to honor with his presence. Now, do I need to say that many still treat God's invitation in the very same way? Some are still prioritizing their investments over God's invitation. Other things have a greater priority for them than coming to God's banquet, honoring him by coming to the banquet that he's prepared for them. They promise that they're coming, but they prioritize their investments over attending just check their calendars, their pocketbooks, and their involvement in, things of, in the things of God, and you would see exactly where 
their priorities are. That's excuse number one. Excuse number two, I have just bought the latest farming technology. That's what that translates into. I bought five yoke of oxen. That's the, this is a farming community, so you will readily uh, appreciate this. I'm told that most landowners during, the, during that particular time uh, could only afford one, perhaps two oxen at best. But this man has five, which means that he must have been rather wealthy. He has five yoke of oxen, which translates into ten oxen. But what was so special about this farming technology that required for him to go and look over it right then. Could he not have honored the host's invitation and then perhaps on his way back, gone to check out his technology? Again, his excuse reflects his priorities. His livelihood is a greater priority than God's invitation. He would sooner trust his own ability to provide for himself and his family, then trust in God's provision. And some of us do that. We work harder because we think our livelihood really depends upon ourselves and we fail to trust God's provision for us. That is why we're often chasing more. So that's excuse number two. Now excuse number three is probably the most excusable of the three although it is not a really a legitimate excuse. He says, I just got married, and therefore I cannot come. So he is prioritizing an intimate relationship over God's invitation. Now in the Old Testament, uh, a man who, any man who was involved in, in um, national service, if you will, um, if he was involved as a soldier, or maybe a priest, whenever he got married, he was allowed one whole year off from duty to be with his wife. That's important. But it is hard to see in this passage, it is hard to see this man's new marriage as sufficient reason for him not to go to the banquet that he had already agreed to attend. After all, I mean, he could have, he could have brought his wife along. Now, which wife does not like her husband to, take her, to say to her, honey, we're going out to eat this evening? Is any wife here who doesn't like to hear that? <laughs> you love that. Because you don't have to cook, right? So he could have brought his wife along, for goodness sake, so that she herself could have been a part of the banquet. Again, he is prioritizing an important relationship. Now, Mark, you, your relationship with your wife should be second only in importance to your relationship to God. But he's prioritizing this important relationship. He's elevating a physical relationship, as important as that is, over a spiritual one. He's forgetting that the same God who said, husbands love your wives, also said, if you place her or any other relationship above me, you are not worthy of me. So many are still prioritizing their investments, their livelihoods, and their relationships over the most important invitation of all. Thirdly and finally, with or without you, God's banquet will go on as planned. 
You see that we're not so important after all? Because normally, if you're important, then nothing can go on without you, right? But God, God's banquet will go on with or without us. And so in Jesus' parable, the, the servant reports to his master all of the excuses that people are making, and this really, this really angers the master. But he decides that his banquet will go on anyway. Nothing will be delayed. Nothing will be canceled. Not the preparation of the food, the setting of the table, or the pouring of the wine. Everything is going to go on as planned. The only thing that will change is the invitees. No one who wants to come will be excluded. So the, the master says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Now, we were driving in the streets of Buffalo um, last weekend, and I came across this sign, and I didn't really know that I would need it today, but I came across this sign that said, the only thing that Jesus excluded is exclusion. I love that. How appropriate is that for this? How is it that God just had me see this sign to relate to this message? Jesus did not exclude anything and does not exclude anything except exclusion. So God now invites not just many, but he invites any. I like that. Not just many, but any. All kinds of people from all places in the city. Now, typically, all sorts of vices go on in the city, don't they? That's why many of us live in the country, right? Because you don't like the prostitution, you don't like the gambling, you don't like um, all of the hustling and drug dealing and human trafficking that we normally associate with the city. But that is precisely where grace goes. That is precisely where God sends his invitation here. Not even people from these unlikely categories are going to be excluded from God's invitation. Notice again that the invitation says more about the grace of the host than the qualification of the guest. I love it that we sang so much about grace this morning because it is all about the grace. Had it not been for God's grace, none of us would have been included. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous. Sorry for all of you who are righteous. He said, I didn't come to call you, but I came to call sinners to repentance. He also said, it is not those who are whole who need a physician, but those who are sick. Nothing disqualifies us from God's invitation. Can I say that again? Nothing disqualifies us. From God's invitation. Anyone is invited from anywhere to find that God is the most gracious host that you'll find anywhere. And so the host servant comes back after going out and inviting those from the lanes of the streets and the city. He comes back and he says, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And so what happens? A second command is given Go out to those on the highways and in the hedges and compel them to come in. Now please notice here that compel does not mean force. It means to persuade. You can't force people to accept Christ. No matter how hard you try to do that, uh, you won't succeed. But you can persuade them gently. 
You can tell them about how he saved you, and that the same way he saved you, he could save them. You can share scripture with them. You can invite them. You can encourage them. You can do all of that to persuade them to come. So Jesus is now looking at the Gentiles, those who are living outside of the city of Jerusalem, those who are regarded as outcasts. He's looking at the apostolic age when men like the Apostle Paul and Peter and others would go out beyond Jewish territory into Gentile territory to compel or to persuade people to come to God's banquet. And so God's banquet goes on despite the, the excuses that people make. God does not postpone his banquet. It goes on. He invites others to take the place of those who refuse to come. So in this case, what we find happening is that an opportunity has been lost by some, but grace is extended to others. Now here's the critical question. It is not on which side of the divide did Jesus' listeners fall. That's not the question. It is this. On which side of the divide do you fall? God's grace continues, but you can miss it if you don't respond to the invitation that Jesus is giving. Now, every person who, in fact, came to the banquet could have come up with legitimate excuses as to why they couldn't come. I'm talking now about the last set of people who came after the second command had been, been uh, thrown out. And so the poor man could have said, I don't have anything decent to wear. And that would have been legitimate because he was poor, couldn't afford it. The man who had a disability could have said, I can't walk and I don't have anybody to carry me there. And he would have been correct because that's true. The blind man could have said, I can't see to get there. And he would have been correct because that's true. Those in the highways and hedges and streets could have said, I haven't had a bath in days, and the clothes that I have are not appropriate. But they came because the servant convinced them to come. And here's, what, here's I think, what the beauty of the whole thing is. They came because they knew that their need was greater than their excuse. When you know that your need is greater than your excuse, nothing keeps you from coming. Here's the bottom line of our message. You will never receive a more critical invitation than the one that God is giving. There are three things I want to challenge you to do this morning. First of which is this. Come as you are from wherever you are. Um, I used to hear, do you guys, did you guys grow up on nursery rhymes and fairy tales here? All right. We, oh, I lived for those when I was a boy. And uh, there was a particular story. I don't remember the, the title of the story, but I just remember this line. There, there was somebody who was, was singing, come out, come out, wherever you are. I just love that. I want to say to you this morning, come as you are from wherever you are. You can come with your excuses. In fact, not you can come. I, I challenge you to come with your excuses. Come with your brokenness. Come with your sin from last night, last week, 
or last year? Come if you've placed other things ahead of Jesus. Come if you've rejected him before. Come if you feel unworthy, outcast, or on the wrong side of the tracks, because sometimes we do feel that way. We feel like we are from the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe your circumstances are not as good as somebody else's. Come because everything is now ready. Come because your need is greater than your excuse. I wonder this morning if there's any person who senses a need to come to Jesus from wherever they are. If you do, I challenge you to come. Secondly, I challenge you to prioritize God's banquet over every excuse. And so I ask you this question, what are you valuing more than God's invitation? And we're not just talking about a, 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 an invitation to a banquet here. That's just the metaphor that speaks to your investment in God's kingdom. What are you valuing more than God? What excuses do you sometimes give for not honoring God or his invitation? What earthly investments, priorities, livelihoods, or relationships are being put above God? It's very easy to do that. Sometimes we do that without even realizing that we are. What activities do you need to remove from your already packed schedule so that you may add life-giving things that advance God's kingdom? I've left a little space in your notes. That is for you to go ahead and write in there that one thing that you think you need to remove from your schedule in order to add one kingdom thing that you think God wants you to invest in. So as you prayerfully examine this, what, what can you let go? You know, we pride ourselves, and we say this all that we pride ourselves in packing our, our calendars, packing our schedules, because, you see, the busier we are, we think the more important we are. What one thing do you need to remove so that you might invest in one other kingdom thing? Go ahead and put that in that space. And then maybe you can share it with somebody who can hold you accountable for that. Thirdly and finally, persuade others who still need to honor God's invitation. So you who have already accepted God's invitation to his banquet, you have now been entrusted, God's word says, with the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God expects you now to go out and persuade others and to become involved in what is called the ministry of reconciliation. Some people call it evangelism. Some people call it just living a lifestyle that honors God so that it attracts people to him. But whatever you need, we all do, to become involved in the business of persuading other people to come and enjoy what we are now enjoying, which is reconciliation to God. So in the space that is left in your notes, I want to challenge you to write the names of three persons. Now, I could have said ten, but I said three, okay? I could have said ten, 
Write the names of three persons that you intend to share God's invitation with between now and Christmas. You see, I could have also said between now and next week. I said between now and Christmas. So, all joking aside though, prayerfully, who is that neighbor, co-worker or friend, family member maybe, that God has been impressing on your heart that you need to share your story with them? You need to share Christ with them. Put those three names on, and between now and Christmas, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to have the courage to reach out and to persuade them with his help to come to God's banquet. Let us pray together. God, we are very thankful for your grace. God, because of your grace, we are all here this morning. There are those of us who testify to having been forgiven of our sins, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. God, many of us were in the hedges of life, trapped in things, Lord God, that we're not proud of. But Lord, the grace of God found us, met us, transformed us. And as we heard in Sunday school this morning, it is now teaching us and training us in righteousness and godliness. We thank you for your grace. God, for those who desperately need to respond, perhaps for the very first time to your grace, we ask today that they will have been persuaded by the Holy Spirit to do exactly that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.